Welcome to the Success IQ podcast, the show for entrepreneurs who want to create and live an exceptional life. I'm your host, Jeff Nicholson, and this is episode 34. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Wherever you are in the world, I truly hope you are having a fantastic week. And I can't believe we're, we're almost through. Well, we're in, into April, a couple of weeks are going through, and I've, I am being honoured by the presence of our guest today. I first heard him speak at the CMA, um, I think it was a January kickoff 2017 event, and I just I loved the content he spoke about, and he spoke with so much passion, and I had to get him on the show. So our guest today is Alistair McGill, who is a managing director of Ashton McGill, a Dundee-based strategy and innovation company that specializes in customer experience. After qualifying as an accountant with EY, Alistair has spent 25 years starting, growing, and running businesses in a variety of industries. He is currently the entrepreneur in residence at the University of Dundee and was recently named one of Scotland's top 10 digital disruptors. We have a disruptor on the show. Always good. Alistair, welcome to the show uh, well, thanks jeff it's uh, so so good to be here with you tonight really looking forward to listening to that introduction it sounds like somebody else <laughs> <laughs> do you know there's quite a few guests that come so sometimes go who is this guy i, yeah. really, I really need to <laughs> but it's it's really good and to have a, a disruptor on the show is always a good thing so, oh. <laughs> so alistair could you tell us a little bit about your journey and how you kind of like it's brought you to this point today yeah. Um, so first off, um, Alistair is my, the, the name that my mum likes to call me by, Jeff. So feel feel free to use Ali. Thank Most people that. call me yeah. Ali. Cool. Um, it's shorter. It's easier to spell. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, the journey starts back in the 1980s when I was, uh, I guess, 1986, 87 in my last year or so at school. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I was interested in business and I was good at numbers and therefore with the, the limited amount of careers advice we got back in those days, I ended up opting to go and study accounting, not because I wanted to be an accountant, but just because of those factors colliding and I was fortunate enough to get a job with, they were then called Arthur Young, which was even before Ernst & Young and then EY um, and it was a, fa- a fantastic place to to cut my teeth in business, but I never want, I didn't want to stay there and, and, you know, count numbers for people. I wanted to get into the business side of things. So I had an opportunity in 1992 after I'd qualified, just as I was qualifying actually to join a client, they were a construction related business in Perth, um, where I had grown up. And, and I took that, I took that leap, if you like, of, of leaving one of the biggest brands in the world, they're still one of the biggest brands in the world, and joined a wee entrepreneurial business turning over a couple of million pounds in Perth. But over the next 10 years, Jeff, that's when I I learned so much about business. That that really has been the foundation for my career. The chairman was a really entrepreneurial guy. And over that next 10 years that we worked together, I, I, we built a group of businesses in all manner of industries. We owned, in no particular order, businesses in uh, in the hospitality and leisure industry we owned a techno a couple of technology businesses one of which was was uh, went on to be a very, a very successful business we uh, we bought a fruit winery business which was a crazy thing to do and cost us a ton of money um just a, a really fascinating place to be and as a young entrepreneur someone that was passionate about business um, I learned so much from that that ten year period, and and you know that that really was the foundation for everything that's happened since. Mm. And what what was it that um, has finally brought to you for you to start working with the the, the customer experience? Is that yeah. what's that passion behind yeah. that side? It's really interesting. I mean, going back to ninety one, ninety two, and the time at Ernst and Young, I. 
what what I noticed at that time was that all of the training that we received was technical. They taught us to be technically good accountants or business advisors. No one taught us anything about human beings and and actually um, how to communicate with human beings and how to interact with other um, other people and other customers. And and as we went through that journey in the nineties, I I'm a really curious person and I, I'm always really interested in exploring new ways of doing things new ideas and and back in the late 80s I came across Tom Peters I'm, I'm sure you've heard of Tom Peters and a lot of people listening will have and Tom Peters has been a business guru for most of his life right back to, I think the first book the first big book was In Search of Excellence around about that time and um, and Tom Peters wrote a lot about customers and putting the customer at the heart of businesses and that really resonated with me and, and every business that we built through the 90s we built our language was uh, that we used in those days was customer centric. Um, so, so whether it was construction, whether it was technology, whether it was a fruit winery, whether it was a restaurant, or we owned a chain of snooker clubs, um, it was all about the customer. And now we were just doing that instinctively because it felt right. And and Tom Peters in the late 80s wrote a book called The Pursuit of Wow, um, which was a brilliant book. And actually, I have it here in my library in the in the office, and and it's a book I go back to time and time again because actually the stories in it are timeless, and he talks about just that good old fashioned customer service that that so many industries have lost and we've lost sight of, and so I was doing all these things, we were testing all these things and trying all these things in our organisations. The pivotal point, I guess, for me was the. The mid 2000s, mid to late 2000s, I was running a business in Aberdeen at the time and we were working on a project with the local university. And they said to us, as part of this project, we would like you to work with this consultancy arm that we've got. Um, and, and it wasn't really an optional thing. It was, if we're going to do this project, you need to work with these guys. So we went to meet them and and they were what was called a service design consultancy. I'd never heard of service design. I didn't even know what that meant. Um, but I quickly learned. And, and what I learned from that was that service design was all about designing services with the user or the customer at the core and the heart. And there was a methodology that sat behind this. And and it just, it was like the missing piece of the jigsaw that I'd been searching for, I had just found. And, and I went on to study this over the next few years. The next point that's important in this story is 2010, my daughter, Rebecca, went to study here in Dundee at the art school here at Duncan of Jordanston College of Art and Design. And a year into her course, in Rebecca's second year, she came home one day. We were living in Aberdeen then, and she messaged me, and she said, Dad, there's this guy here you need to meet. His name's Professor Mike Press, and he's talking about service design, and he actually leads a Design for Services master's course at Dundee. And Rebecca introduced me to Mike. Mike's gone on to become a very dear and close friend of mine. And and Mike and his partner, Hazel White, his wife, Hazel White, and business partner now, um, were leading the world in service design and the development of service design as a discipline and as a, a, an academic theory. And just getting to know these people and deeply understand, spending time with them studying and deeply understanding what service design meant, how you could design services with the user in mind. It codified all of the things that I tried to do instinctively over the years. And and it was just like this magic moment and or magic moments. And, and that, that journey from 2008 to today, which is, I guess, nearly... 10 years when I, and I've done a number of different things in that time. I've run a couple of different businesses and, and I've worked as well as being the entrepreneur in residence at the University of Dundee. I spent two years there as the head of enterprise and entrepreneurial strategy. And it was during that time that I set up Ashton McGill as a business. I was working part-time at the university and, and doing some consulting through Ashton McGill. And I just decided I'd, I'd exited the business I'd been running in Aberdeen and I decided, you know what, I want to focus. I want to really double down on this customer experience thing because I, I look at businesses around the country and around the world and I see examples of just terrible customer service or organizations that don't even think about the customer. They're very inwardly focused. And I thought, I'd like to, I want to help those organizations. I, I, I believe I can make a difference to them and make a difference to customer experiences. Mm. And that really was what, that, that was the genesis of setting up Ashton McGill as a business, which we did, we actually did five years ago. Yeah, and there's a, there's a couple of things on that. I think the, the first one is it's amazing. Like you said, there's so many companies. I mean, 
you know, there's a there's an awful lot of publicity going on at the minute with um, uh, a certain airline company, <laughs> um, indeed, based yeah. on based on their customer services of, of of seating arrangements and stuff. But it it just shows it it isn't just the small people that no. get it wrong. And no. what is it? F- and I suppose there's two parts of that. Is is one is it when do you start thinking about customer mm. experience? You know, yeah. for the for the for the entrepreneur who has a small business, yeah. when do they start thinking about that? And the other one is is what certain areas do you think they should be looking at first? Okay, uh, so uh, they should first think about the customer experience before they've sold a thing. Right. Okay. If you if you really if we're truly serious about building businesses of of any size and of any scale, then if you're if you don't have the customer at the heart of the process, then you're on a hiding to nothing. Yeah. And and I, I truly believe that. And I, we when we work with organisations and then we work with startups at times, then we actually invest a lot of time in talking to potential customers and users before a product's built mm-hmm. or designed because the. The, the main reason for businesses failing today in 2017 is that there isn't a product market fit. What that means is they've designed something the market doesn't want. So customer experience is, is the term we use, but if I put my designer's head on, then it's actually about a successful business and a good business these days solves a need or problem for somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, I was just watching a video a little while ago, okay, another Casey Neistat video, okay. and, um, and and they were talking about this example of people that want to build apps. It seems to be the sexy thing to do. Yeah. And, and I was, funnily enough, I was in a meeting in Glasgow last week and somebody said, we need to build an app. And I just looked at him and said, why? Hmm. Why do we need to build an app? What's the problem you're solving with that app? Let's home in on the customer. Let's understand their their life, their perspective, let's understand what their needs and problems are. And then then actually, if we work with them to design a solution to that, we're going to be in a much better position to have a successful business. So actually, the answer to when should they first start to think about this is before they've, you know, before they've built anything, mm-hmm. go talk to customers and then think about things from their perspective and design the process. What, what should they do, which I think was the second question, yeah. So once you understand the customer's needs and problems, then involve them in the process. And and people find that a really strange thing to do. And, and you know, we talk to clients and ask how often they've spoken to their customers. And, and people will sometimes say, uh, you know, we send them a survey. Hmm. We send them an email to do a survey monkey or something like that. Well, that's not speaking to customers. That's asking a set of genetic questions that you've usually designed for marketing purposes not to deeply understand what that person thinks and feels about the product or service you've supplied them with or are supplying them with. So, you know, the earlier you can bake this stuff into the the DNA of your business, the better, because it becomes cultural. It becomes, it's a way of thinking. It's like if you learn to stand in your customer's shoes and really deeply empathize with them, what does it feel like to be them? What does it feel like to experience your services? Then, you're going to be in a ti- in that tiny percentage of businesses that do things really, really well. And and my experience over the past five or six years as I've been deeply involved in this space is that there are very few businesses that do this well. Mm-hmm. And I could, it's, it's almost, it's really hard to name them. And one of the challenges I have when I run workshops and I, and I speak at conferences is that I don't have that many examples of organizations that do things really well, mm-hmm. consistently. Now we we run a uh, we run a series of workshops, and one of the exercises that we do in in our workshops, Jeff, is that we ask people to we give them post-it notes and sharpies, and we just ask them to write the name of a brand they've had a good experience with, and the name of a brand they've had a bad experience with, and then shove them on the on the board, and. And I facilitate that conversation once they've done that. And I ask people to talk. I just pick a handful of them at random and ask people to talk about the good experiences and the bad experiences. And what we found over the last year is that when we ask people to talk about good experiences, what they tell us about is an organization that has done what they've said they would do. Yeah. That's, that, that's now what we think of as being good. Now, four or five years ago, good would be where someone had gone, they'd exceeded our expectations, they'd excelled. Yeah. 
But our expectations are now so low. 84, Harvard did a study not that long ago, and 84% of customers expect to be let down now. Yeah. So we're in this scary. position. Yeah, it's scary. And it's getting worse. The average customer churn in the UK is now at 20%. So businesses, on average, are losing one in five customers every year. And they're not doing anything to address it other than spending more money on marketing. You know, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah. So we're, people now think a good experience is simply where you've done what you've said you'll do. Now, I don't think that's a good experience. I think that's just what it should be. Mm. But for most organizations, they're not thinking about customer. They're thinking about the things they need to do internally. Yeah. And the bigger, the bigger the business gets, the harder it is to change that culture. Yeah. And I suppose and this is the hard the, the the other harder thing is is you find that an awful lot of you know ultimately the every every company is a customer based company to yeah. some level or, or yeah, yeah. point, but so many companies now is they remove the um, the contact mm. from your client. So I mean I can't remember the name of the company, but I I tried to get hold of someone the other day. Um, about a software problem on, okay. on something, yeah. and I yeah. could not find yeah. a phone number to speak mm. to them about because either you are, aren't at that entry level to actually be able to speak to someone, so all you get is a a Q and A that never have the answer that you're actually looking for, yeah, and 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 you remove that whole um, that whole sort of interface. Mm-hmm. But there was, I think, HubSpot were brilliant because okay. I, yep. I think it was HubSpot, and I, I joined, and literally within about, um, no, correct, it wasn't HubSpot, it was Prosperous Works, it was, okay. um, sorry, HubSpot, but it was, <laughs> it was literally, I, I had done it, and I got a phone call from someone uh, going, how is that? Now we're talking about a big company, yeah, and they yeah. literally phoned up someone in the UK, they're based in the US. And they just went. We just wanted to check if everything was okay, mm-hmm. and that. And I was like, I can't. I can't even. I was in shock that mm-hmm. someone had done that because I had never experienced that for ages. Yeah, and and, and over the last, well, I don't know, decade at least, organisations have moved increasingly to online support yeah. to use, and and there are some fantastic tools you can yeah. use for that. Great, but it's removed the human aspect from it from many relationships and that's a dangerous place to be um now it's difficult to it, it is a difficult balance to strike is, yeah but but it sounds like prosperous works are getting it right the other one i've had a good experience with recently in the tech space is contactually yes and our, our good friend chris marr introduced mm. me to contactually last year yeah and and i've been a fan of their product and you kind of used it now consistently for over a year and and I had a similar experience when I signed up with Contactually that I had an email contact from them as soon as I joined. Now, obviously, an automated process. Yes. I booked in. A, I booked in a call. I had to call. The guy's name was Cameron, and and he was brilliant at, at uh, onboarding me to use that terminology. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I can't fault what they've done. They've consistently delivered and met my expectations, yeah. and their product is really good. Yeah. So. So I, I I continue to use it and I tell people about it, which is exactly the point, isn't it? It's it's yeah. that it's it's not just that you you get looked after; it's because you get looked after, yeah. you then can't stop talking about it because either it's a, it's such an experience that it's like this is really cool. Mm-hmm. It's one of the reasons why I love Mac. You know, yeah. it's, it's yeah. I, I I can't stand their pricing of stuff <laughs> because it's it's crazy. But mm-hmm. when you walk into the experience of when you walk into that shop, yeah, it, it's you can touch it, you can play with them, you can do yeah. whatever it is, and it's not like the old days where everything was kept in a glass cage. Absolutely, you have to point to it, and I think it's that it's that amazing ability to in, to interface. They're, they're one of the first companies that really embraced the notion of customer experience. I don't think they really called it that in, in the early days, but the, the the little touches, the tiny little touches that Apple have done now, the, everyone does this now, but they were the first organization to, to charge the equipment 
when you collected it, when you unboxed it. Yeah. Because we all, you know, you know that feeling you've bought a new piece of equipment, you unbox it, and then you've got to charge it and yeah. wait for several hours before you can use it. Yeah. <laughs> they realized the magic of providing a, yeah. a charge, not necessarily fully charged, but no. enough charge so you could use it and play yeah. with it. Yeah. And and even just the way that Apple products are packaged when you buy them, oh, yeah. it's, it's an experience. I, yeah. I love buying a new MacBook because of the way it unpacks and yeah. that there's a, it's almost a, 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 a fabric um, yeah. cover that it comes in and it's, you know, that they, they've made it way more than just buying a computer because at the end of the day, it's a computer. It does, it, it, it does what another computer will do. But and there's cheaper ones out there, but it sings yeah. to you as you open the yeah. box. Yeah. I oh, know. It's, <laughs> just, it's just, a, it's a lovely experience. The other one I've had recently, and this is, a, this is a, I found really interesting. Um, so it, I talked about the workshop, good and bad experiences. And I ran one, I, I ran one in Aberdeen a couple of months ago with a, a wealth management company who will remain nameless. Yeah. And, uh, 12 people around the table, all fairly senior people in the organization. And two people in that room mentioned a motor dealer in Dundee called okay. Barnett's. Okay. And I thought that's interesting. And then the same thing happened recently um, in another workshop in, in Aberdeen, which is Aberdeen just for people who don't know is about 70, 60, 70 miles from Dundee. So it's a fair distance and Barnett's are dealers for Vox, uh, sorry, they're dealers for Volvo, Mazda, and Volkswagen, and and people told stories about the magical experience Barnett's created when they bought vehicles. One was a new vehicle, and the other was a vehicle for their son. And I know you just bought a vehicle yeah, for your yeah, son. Yeah. Now this was the first vehicle that someone had bought for their for their kid, and a secondhand vehicle, and they both received the same experience. Mm-hmm. And they've they, so I thought this is really interesting. I I, I want to go and find out why and, and how they're doing this. I did a bit of research beforehand and I found some financials and I found that the current managing director, um, who's the son of the founder, had had taken the reins of the business about a decade ago. Mm. Um, and and when you look at the financials, there's like hockey stick growth from that point to now. Mm. Um, so I managed to get an introdu- introduction to him through a mutual contact and he, he replied the same day and uh, sent me a link to his diary here's a couple of slots Alistair let me know what suits you I booked in a slot a couple of weeks um, afterwards with him and and I went down a week ago a week ago today um, and spent a fascinating afternoon with him we were there for I was there for a couple of hours and and it was just really interesting to listen and learn how they're running their business he was t- he told me that people will typically travel 20 miles to buy a new car and 10 miles to have it serviced now these people in Aberdeen are traveling 60 miles to buy a car and not only that they're also doing that same journey to have it serviced. Yeah. Which is a real surprise. And it was a surprise to him because there's also a Volkswagen dealer in Aberdeen mm. and a Volvo dealer in Aberdeen and a Mazda dealer in Aberdeen. But they're doing something right. And and straight away, sitting with Paul Barnett in the boardroom at his office, you could tell there was a passion for the customer and an attention to detail, which I learned went back to his father. But also Paul has a has a desire to not just run his business like a motor trade business, like a car dealer. He spends a lot of his time looking at other businesses and looking at how people do things in different industries. He looks a lot at hospitality. So they have they have somebody whose job is to be in the car park and watch cars come in. And as that car's coming in, they're radioing through to the reception um, and the person in reception is being given the registration details. They're able to check the customer's name if that's an existing customer. And they, they then know what that person's in for. And it's tiny little yeah. things like that. It's a compounding and a bunch, effect, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and it was a really interesting exercise because I I also do an exercise. I also do a task, if you like, in the workshop where we ask people to share their perceptions of an industry, because that's how that's when customers don't know our business. The only the only frame of reference they have is at an industry level. Yeah. So I purposely take people through that exercise, and I had people talk about the motor trade. What are the what are your perceptions of the motor trade and people use language like untrustworthy hidden charges lack of integrity don't ever do things on time Mm -hmm. and 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 that's what people's perception still is of the motor trade but people like barnett's are turning that on its head and and this little garage relatively little garage in dundee is the most profitable volkswagen dealer in the uk wow 
and number two for customer experience, customer satisfaction. So th- there's a culture there that's been baked in since Bob Barnett started that business in 1965. Yeah. But what Paul's done is give it a fresh impetus. And just as you walk around, I- I'm trained to do this, so I noticed the detail, mm. but the, the attention to detail within that business is phenomenal. Mm. And that's why people are traveling you know, 60, 70 miles to buy a car. I wrote a blog post, a small blog post about it on my personal blog Mm. and shared that on LinkedIn. And somebody else in Aberdeen said, yeah, I go to Dundee as well. They're brilliant. Yeah. And and it's like you say, it's, it's, it's that, it's just those little slight changes that people notice because they're the, they're the things and it doesn't matter. Do you think, and the final question, I guess, is, is do you think that, People sometimes feel they need to force and copy the, let's say, some of the successful people, some of the other businesses, maybe bigger, maybe they've done it longer, and they do not stop and think about how they would do it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's almost that sheep mentality, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. And and what all, all they're doing is just replicating what someone else has done. They're not they're not differentiating or standing out. I think if you want to be if you want to be successful, then do what do what Paul's done. Go mm. and for him in the motor team, he's looked at hospitality. He's looked at all sorts of other industries as well. But go and learn from other people. Find the best examples of customer service you can in the world, and and actually then sit back and think, okay, how can I bring that into my business, into what I do? How can I use some of that stuff, and that'll differentiate me, right. rather than doing what someone else in your industry is already doing, because you're just going to look like them. Yeah, and it's not always going to be the price. No, no, absolutely not. People go for that. People go, well, we'll just make it cheaper, and we'll just make it cheaper, oh. and we'll just make it cheaper, and they just that's a, whittle down their their whole brand. That's a race to the bottom, and it's not one that I, yeah. I would ever ever no. want me to no. be in or any of my clients to be in. No, it was well, it was certainly a mistake I did when I first started out because I listened to too many people rather than just mm-hmm. listening to. It's a difficult thing to do, you know, It's a, especially when you're just starting out because yes. we haven't got the background and the history and the heritage and the, yeah. the, the credibility and reputation. And uh, so at times there's a, there's a reason for having a lower price, mm-hmm. but if that's your point of, of competition, then yeah. that's, that's, a, that's not, not a good work. place to be. Yeah. No. This is my favorite bit. This is the time <laughs> I get a chance to put them, the guests on the hot seat. So, Alistair, we're going to ask you the questions that we ask all of our guests who appear on the show. And we will start with question one, which is how much time a week do you spend on self-development? Oh, that's a good question, Jeff. I've been thinking about that, having listened to lots of the the podcasts you've done before. Uh, And like many people, personal development is just a big part of my life. It's, It's part of who I am and what I do from listening to podcasts and audiobooks in the car. I'm a voracious reader of books, but also a voracious listener. Because of where I live, I tend to travel. Mm. Dundee's maybe an hour from Glasgow, an hour from Edinburgh, an hour from Aberdeen. So I do spend time either in the car or on the train. And and uh, th- th- those opportunities give me the chance to, to read or to listen to audiobooks. Mm. Um, I also... I, I like to get out and about to events and conferences. And I know, we're again, we're both fans of that Chris Marr and the yeah, Content Marketing absolutely. Academy. Um, that's a conference I always enjoy. And uh, there's also, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, in May, the beginning of May, I'm, I'm going to London to spend an afternoon with Simon Sinek, who's been a, a oh, huge wow. inspiration. Yeah, been a huge inspiration to me in, my, in, in the last five or six years. So I'm, I'm just so excited about that. Yeah. So I, I make it a point now, Jeff, when, to try and get out and about to interesting events and conferences. And, and I also try not to go to the same ones too often because I think mm-hmm. I, I want to be challenged. I want to learn from different people. And that, that's, that's something I'm trying to do more of this year. So... Several hours a week would be the answer. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I'm, I'm, I have a natural curiosity. That's part of the designer in me. Mm-hmm. That I'm always, I always want to learn more. And I think the day that I stop wanting to do that or feeling that, because it's an instinctive thing, is the day I really should start to worry. Yeah, it's the day you really need to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Question number two is: What is your favorite personal development book, and why? 
So this this won't be a surprise given what I've just said, but it is Start With Why by Simon Sinek. Okay. And it's one of the, I remember the TED Talk, the first time I watched the TED Talk, a friend of mine uh, by the name of James Deere, who now runs a business down in London called, well, he's based in London, called Gather Content. James introduced me to Simon Sinek around about 2010. And I remember sitting in his office watching this. I'd only just come across TED Talks. And this thing, this just blew me away. And it, again, it was another one of those jigsaw moments, like the service design Mm. experience a couple of years earlier that wow this guy is is he's crystallizing all of these things that have been in my head that i've not been able to to articulate and this just makes so much sense uh to the point that you know i I watched the ted talks i have the book it was one of the few books on audible that i keep on my phone you know most books i'll listen to once and i'll delete them and then i'll listen to another one and but start with why has consistently remained on there. I don't know how many times I've listened to it. Yeah. I've also over the years bought it for the management teams in my business and other people as a gift. Yeah. And um, so it's been a it's been a real inspiration to me. And yeah, th- there are other books, but that one that one stands out for yeah. me. It's a, it's it's. I remember right the first time I heard that, and I think my mouth was just open because <laughs> I was yeah. listening to it as I. And I think it wasn't necessarily the message. It was how he described it. I think, actually, funny enough, he used Apple and Dell or yeah. Apple and Microsoft. It was Apple and Dell because he actually, in the in the talk, he, he talked about Dell making PDAs and why would you buy a PDA from Dell? I did. Oh. <laughs> I, bought it from, <laughs> I bought one from HP. So I was yeah. listening. <laughs> but it was that, it was that fantastic... Just the way he narrated it, and he, he yeah. came up with it, and it was just one of those talks that you know. He's I've a got, I'm my favorite. He is. He's a storyteller, yeah. and, and you know he 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 has the room in the palm of his hand. Yeah, and yeah. I'm I'm super excited for next month and going yeah. down to London and just listening to him for an afternoon. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I'm jealous. I have to say, <laughs> I'll <laughs> tell you how it goes. <laughs> okay, question number three is: is what is your favorite app? So I could be cliched with this and talk about apps like Slack or yeah. um, some of the business apps we use. But I was thinking about this this morning. I was out on a run this morning and, and I thought, what am I going to say to Jeff when we talk about apps? And so the answer, the answer, the honest answer is Spotify. Okay. And, and I, I've always loved music. I don't like to work in silence. So anytime I'm working, I've got music on. Mm. And when I run, I typically will run with music on and and Spotify, we talked about disruption right at the start of this mm. conversation. And and Spotify, for me, have been a disruptor. Mm. iTunes existed, but what Spotify did was bring streaming along. Mm. And I can't tell you when I last bought an album, but no. I listen to more music now than I've ever listened to. Yeah. Um, and, and because of the way that Spotify's continued to evolve and develop – I'm able to listen to music I've never heard of because I'll just trust its recommendations. I'll listen to playlists. Yeah. When I run, they've got a fantastic little, it's not an app, but but it picks up the rhythm of your running. So this morning I went out and, and it, it asked you to start running. So you start running. It says, oh, you're running 170 beats a minute. So it picks music that's at that same cadence. Oh, wow. That's a brilliant motivator. I was out trying to do quite a hard tempo run this morning. And, you know, if a bit of, Ed Sheeran, much as I like Ed Sheeran had come on, it would have it would have yeah. slowed me down. Yeah. It's playing for the entire time you're running music of the cadence that is the tempo that you want to run at. It's a brilliant, brilliant bit of kit, brilliant bit of technology. Oh, like, so Spot- like Spotify is Spotify okay. for me is a brilliant app. Yeah, I used to use that and then I moved to Apple Music solely because I think it was the way um we could share as the family the music yeah. and stuff. But yeah. I'm beginning to think based on the selection of music that my family pick. Um, or maybe it's maybe for the family it's what i pick um you know it's it's looking at that and going oh well i might i might have to go back to it because i think they're roughly about the same price but it is true it's this this streaming side of things is Mm. just it just changes the ball game for all of it because i haven't bought an album in the same probably you know years as well and i do i I do miss that thing about you know you and i are old enough to have bought vinyl when you would buy when you buy an album and you'd have the you bring it home and you'd have the case and the and the artwork and sometimes an insert and even with cds you would get the book that came with it i do miss that yeah that was part of the magic part of the experience of buying music previously was that you got all of that 
Yeah. Now I just listen to stuff in my ear, but yeah. as an app, I can't fault it. But kids, you see, our kids just will never understand. There's <laughs> no. a gr- there's a great video on YouTube where they give them a Walkman, and they're okay. like sitting there going, "And oh, yeah. you press the button to play. <laughs> Why do you yeah. have to turn it round? So you know, yeah. and all of that stuff." But yeah, it's. I think that's the thing is, is it's the it's also for me is it's the power of music in productivity. Is that you know, I don't I think people underestimate how whether it's running at that cadence or whether it's picking the right music to work and be yeah. productive yeah. it can be it can be a real game changer to help you sort of get focused yeah definitely okay so number 4 is what's your biggest business mistake and what did it teach you so this is a mistake that I've made. Just pick one, Ali. Go, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, could be here all night. Um it's a mistake that I've made twice. Um, and the, the mistake was making a business decision based on money okay. rather than on values. And and at the time, it felt like the right decision to make because the potential upside, this was what the money was about, the potential upside um, in terms of capital return, capital exit would have, you know, would have been fantastic for my family. What I didn't look at closely enough were the, the values and culture of the people that I was going to get into business with and in both of those cases they turned out to be incredibly unpleasant experiences and both cost me money and probably as much as costing me money they both cost me heartache pain uh, incredibly unpleasant experiences Jeff And, uh, and and it it's taught me the first one should have taught me this, but it didn't. And I made another decision based on money. It has taught me to really look at the people first. Mm-hmm. And if if there isn't a natural fit and if the people aren't don't have the same values as me, don't believe in the same things as me, then we're just not gonna do something together. And when you were going through that, did did your mm-hmm. gut tell you to not? But you kind of like had overruled it with your head, or was it just yeah? Right, particularly the second time, particularly the second time, and you know, you know, and and there were I could justify it, and I and Hmm. for a while I justified it to myself. Yeah. Uh, but but the honest answer is no my gut was telling me don't do this but then there was this little thing you know the devil on my other shoulder yeah. saying no oh, think of the money think of the upside this could make you financially independent and yeah. and you know kids would be provided for for the rest of your life yeah. and i made the decision based on that and i actually gave up a, a really good mm. uh, business relationship that i had at the time to do that and and i'd regret i'll regret that for the rest of my life yeah. but i learned a ton of stuff from it yeah. Um, I tend not to look back too often, but but that's one that, yeah, my gut was telling me one thing, and 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 I did the opposite. Okay, okay. So question number five is: What are your challenges in balancing work and life, and how do you manage them? I've got a lot better at that. I would say the I would say the biggest challenge is that that I love what I do, and so I wouldn't say I'm a workaholic, but I love what I do, mm-hmm. and that means that that my life uh, kind of when I get up in the morning and when I go to bed at night, the time in between is a lot of that time is spent on business stuff, on work stuff. But because it's a passion, it doesn't feel like I'm putting in crazy hours, although sometimes I do. So the balance is juggling that. Yeah. A good a good friend of mine, Stephen Bonthron, um, put this really nicely at the start of the year when we were talking about this. He, he said something really interesting, which was that there's all of this talk about work-life balance, mm. but shouldn't we be looking at life-work? balance absolutely yeah work life is putting work as the dominant thing whereas actually is that really how we should be thinking about it should we not mm-hmm. be putting our life first yeah and i and i always think about that and it's steve only said that in fact it might even have been the day we were all in dundee together mm. uh, at the start of the year uh, but it's resonated with me ever since and it's made me really think about it yeah and i'm i'm i'm, I'm dealing with it in different ways i for a long time now, I don't keep any devices in my bedroom. So when I go to bed at night, there's no phone there. There's no iPad. There's no nothing there to distract me. I know that's at the end of the day, mm. but but that's helping and has helped. The other thing I've done recently is turn off notifications on my phone beyond a certain point in the day. Oh, yeah. So I, I have a daily, so really it's a mantra each day, which is be present. Mm-hmm. And be present, particularly when I'm with my family. Yeah. 
And and I'm, it's still a challenge. It's still a daily challenge to do that. But once we hit nine o'clock, then all the devices are out and I'll sit and do something with Joanna. We'll watch a movie together. We'll sit and have a conversation. We try and have dinner together mm-hmm. and the devices aren't in the room then. So yeah. I'm kind of putting boundaries around these things yeah. to get better at them. Yeah. But it's a constant yeah. challenge. And I think, I think, I think is that I, I would love to know who came up with work-life balance rather than life work. <laughs> yeah. But also is it's, it's not about balancing. It's about integration, especially for entrepreneurs. Yeah. Uh, or yeah. there's a great word that I heard. And it's about harmony. Mm, so it's, you know, it's not about, it's not about it's one or the other. It's yeah. as an entrepreneur, there's going to be times when there's a hell of a lot more energy that goes into one, but it's yeah. about remembering and, yeah. t- and bringing into yourself and going, how much time have I actually spent with the family over the last couple yeah. of God knows what? I really like that. Yeah, and it's it's it, it's just a, I just I don't know. I've always called it integrational blending, mm-hmm. but I can't remember. I think I heard it on um, one of Tim Ferriss's episodes. Okay, and and they talked about actually what we're really looking for is a harmony between yeah, work and that's life. That's nice. And I'm I'm really lucky that Joanna, my wife. Uh, I, I, is so understanding because I've run businesses since 1992. Mm. So she kind of knows what I'm like and she knows how much I enjoy it. Mm. So she's tolerant, but, but you know, our kids have grown up, our kids have left home Mm. and I, and particularly since then I've made a real effort to be better at being present and being, being there and being with her. Yeah. But harmony, harmony puts it really nicely. I really like that. Yeah. I know. I, I might change the question, but people might go, what? (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Rather than by so yeah we'll start singing exactly yeah yeah exactly so question number six is um what advice would you give an entrepreneur that you wish you had had known starting out oh i think so i bring it back to what i do now around this whole human what we call human-centered design mm-hmm. is to actually to actually spend time talking to customers and listening to what their challenges are. You know, the most successful businesses have figured out what their customers' problems are and then work together to solve them. For much of the 90s, we didn't do any of that. And and probably from, for the first half of the 2000s, um, we didn't do any of that. It was just, we think this is a good idea. My brother and I built a golf business, a golf software um, business together a few years ago and, and we built an app we built a, what was what became an app that we thought was the product that we needed we didn't do enough testing and user research mm. and I think that's that if I was if I had my time over again and and could go back and advise my 22 year old 23 year old self Jeff it would mm. be go talk to customers yeah. go listen to people don't make assumptions yeah, uh, I think that would that 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 would be a hugely valuable would have been a hugely valuable piece of advice for me then. Yeah, it's interesting as well because I know my grandfather owned a confectionery company, and that's what you know. Ever since I grew up, it was we had a sweet factory in the family, and okay. um, which was really cool. Don't get me wrong, you know, as a kid, that's a cool <laughs> place to be. But one of yeah. the interesting things is is thinking about when I went to work for him when I left school is. I don't remember him ever stopping and going, well, what do kids want? Because it's, I think that his attitude possibly, and I might be completely wrong about this is, is that it's sweets yeah, and they yeah. come in hand, but it was the traditional, it was the rhubarb and custard. It was the, mm. you know, mm-hmm. the old fashioned boiled sweets that you used to get yeah. from your corner yeah, shop. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and, you know, is is when it was, you know, traditionally it was, well, we're just stopping, stopping that flavor. Well, why? Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. you know, uh, maybe it's the essence is more expensive than yeah. you know the lemon fizz bomb tended to be the most fa- most favourite of of all of the of the lines, but it was an interesting thing to go. Did you actually stop and do questionnaires? Yeah. Generally, I think I don't think we did because that probably would have been my job um, to go <laughs> down and ask those questions around schools and God knows what. But it, yeah. it is interesting that you just wonder. Especially when you talk about sort of the nineties and and all of mm. that is is how much customer experience did we really think about? Yeah, I, I don't think we did. I mean, I uh, other than us having this notion we should do the right thing for the customer, uh, it wasn't a thing. You know, yeah. the, uh, there is now. I'm a member of the Customer Experience Professionals Association. That as a membership body has been around for three years or so now. Mm. That's how young this is as an industry as a discipline. Mm. So it is still in its infancy and, and 
for me that's kind of exciting because we're all still we're all learning with each other and from each other and i think i think we'll see much much more of this coming into the business language yeah. and into business education um over the years ahead brilliant okay so um we've added a new question so you might not have heard this question but uh, um what is your definition of success yeah if you'd asked me that 10 years ago yeah Maybe maybe fifteen years ago, I'd have talked about money and material things, yeah. and and maybe it's just because I'm old now. But um, it's a very, wiser, a very diff- wiser, yeah, wiser. wiser. Let's use that, yeah. <laughs> um, but I have a very different perspective on that now. I have I have some friends who've made a ton of money who are really unhappy, mm. um, and and success for me now is about doing good work that makes a difference to people's lives, mm. being rewarded well enough for that that i can live a comfortable life look after my family and kind of feel good about myself jeff there are times in my career where i haven't felt good about myself and 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 i think that's it's important to me to be able to do those things the fundamental thing is about helping people and if i can do that in in a good way then I, I, I will feel successful. It's not the same material success I would no. have thought about 10 or 15 years ago, but I've, I've moved on from that. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe I've realized I'm not going to sell the business for hundreds of million now, millions. <laughs> now. But, 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 you know, I've seen people do that and, and just be incredibly unhappy. So yeah. success has been, you know, a successful day for me now is been able to spend time with good people, yeah. enjoy the company of friends and family, ideally over some nice food and a glass of wine. Yeah, that sounds good to me. And I think and I think when Dai describes it as the the sort of the morning of our day, which is it's the materialistic things. And he demonstrates that brilliant in a in a great film called The Shift. Okay. Uh, and then he talks about the afternoon is when we start seeing actually what is important. Yeah. It's it's the it's it's not the bling. It's not yeah. that sort of thing. You know, you you look at a car and you know, don't get me wrong, I love I like my sports cars, specifically mm. um, anyone from Aston Martin who wants to offer me one. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, 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 don't get me wrong, I do like them, but it's not the thing I aspire to. Yeah. Where I think when you start off, that's that's what you feel tells you that you've made it, yeah. Yeah, rather I than actually so. just sitting back and looking at your family being happy and, the mm. you know, being able to do whatever and just go, yeah, okay, that I'm in, I'm in a good place now. And I yeah. think that's that I think that's the the and it it's nice to when you ask those questions, which is one reason why I want to put it in, mainly as well as it's one of the fundamental things that when I'm working with clients, I ask the question is you need to define it. So yeah. you don't pursue someone else's. Yeah, yeah. And again, that's a mistake I've made in the past. Yeah, and but I think I think a lot of people do because we're bombarded so much mm. with this mm-hmm. is what success means. Yeah. And it and actually it's not it might be for some people and that's fine if yeah, they're happy yeah. great but you see too many people and you know people and i've worked with people who have made a lot of money and they're sitting there in misery and you just yeah. think it just shows and 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 i can't remember who said it but you know when you're on when you're on that final moment you're not thinking about i wish i'd made a couple of more quid <laughs> exactly you know, just, so you know it's it's an important thing so, um, okay, so now we're on the life lesson question. So, as mm. guest, Ali, you get a choice to pick a number between 1 and 50, and we see what lesson turns up. I'd like to choose the number 48, please. 48 is... <laughs> Listen to your gut. <laughs> Honestly, just I just rewind. Just, yeah, just I know. Rewind the I know. Basically, I get emails from people saying these things are, are rigged. Um, because they always seem to land on topics that we're talking about. Um, but I can, I can assure you, these are not rigged. But listen to your gut is kind of like what we described earlier on. It's that, you know, there's almost like a deeper knowledge within yeah. us that knows when we're going off, off, off our, I guess, off our path, off course, or if we're doing mm-hmm. something that we don't know. And it's... I suppose there's two things. Have you learnt to listen to it? Obviously, you've made mistakes and you got you know yeah. that sort of thing. Or do you still fight that brain, heart, intuition kind of like thing? So I think the honest answer is I'm learning to okay. listen to yeah. it. 
Okay. And so 48 is because I'm 48 okay. um, a couple of weeks ago. And Happy birthday for a couple of weeks. Yeah, I thought I'd just pick that at random. And <laughs> um, uh, so even at 48, I, I'm still learning to mm. trust my gut instinct even even though there are lots of examples in the past where i know i should have done it it, it, maybe it's the left brain in me my 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 finance and business background that that logic will say one thing and my gut saying another yeah and and sometimes i will still go with logic what i do now i think is spend more time contemplating it that's where for me sport running whether it's running or cycling is a huge part of my life and going out and running for an hour in the morning is brilliant contemplative time i also journal a lot mm-hmm. um so I, I write every morning for a good 15 minutes and and those 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 activities help me to make sense sometimes of situations and what's yeah. going on yeah and 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 help me to get to a decision i don't make snap decisions anymore mm. And if somebody wants me to make a snap decision, then it's probably the wrong person to be having that conversation with. Yeah. Um, so I take more time, but I'm still learning to trust my gut. Brilliant, brilliant. Ali, it's been an absolute privilege having you on the show. I've really enjoyed it. Is Can you take a moment to share with people how people can find out more about you um, on your social media links and stuff like that? Indeed. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute absolute pleasure um, to chat with you today. Um, A couple of ways that people, the main main way for people to get in touch with me is through Twitter. Um, I'm I'm pretty responsive on Twitter. I've been on the platform for about eight or nine years. Um, You'll find me on Twitter at Ali, A-L-I underscore McGill, M-C-G-I-L-L. There's also a YouTube channel and I have a weekly vlog, which just tells a bit of the story of my life and what I do. You'll find me on there at Alistair McGill. But again, if you if you find me on Twitter, you'll find the links to all these things. If anyone's interested in finding out more about customer experience, we have a free email course, a seven-day email course that people can find at cxstartercourse.co.uk. And there's a ton of good stuff in there that just breaks this customer experience thing down into plain English, simple steps, easy things you can do now to embed within your business. So if you're interested in customer experience, take a look at that. Anyone wants to connect on LinkedIn, you'll find me on LinkedIn as well. And I'd just be delighted to hear from anybody and happy to help anybody that has any questions about any of the stuff we've talked about tonight. Brilliant. Thanks very much. And also highly recommend you watch his blog vlogs because, um, <laughs> There's, there's, there's a. There, we've had guests on the show. We've had Gavin on the show earlier. We've got yeah. Roger turning up. These three people do amazing vlogs, and they. I'm sitting there thinking, I'm never going <laughs> to do a vlog like this. I've, I've ordered uh, directors, it's... producers, script writers. <laughs> I just, I'm just not quite sure how we're going to do it. But Ali, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show, and I just want to take this time to wish you the greatest success. Thank you so much, Jeff. So first of all, just let me say a huge thank you for tuning in or subscribing to the show. I'm very grateful for that. If you have any suggestions of topics that you would like to to suggest that we have on the show, or perhaps you want to give me feedback of, uh, of what you think about the show, then you can send any emails to podcast at jeffnicholson.co.uk. I love hearing from you and your feedback really does help me make the show better. So if you want to find out more about me or how I can assist you to live the exceptional life, then you can visit www.jeffnicholson.co.uk or you can follow me on Twitter, look for GN Coach, or on all other social media sites, I am Jeff Nicholson UK. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. If you've also enjoyed the show, can I invite you to pop over to iTunes and give us a rate and review as it really does help make the podcast more visible to increase its audience. I look forward to speaking to you next week and I want to take this time to wish you the greatest success. Take care.